Hello and welcome to the Semantic Cybersecurity Brief, our weekly podcast where we discuss all things cybersecurity. I'm Dick O'Brien and joining me today are Semantic Threat Researchers Bridget O'Gorman and Gavin O'Gorman. This week's podcast will be the first in what we hope is going to be a series of regular podcasts which we have named Attack Group of the Month. Now here at Semantic we encounter thousands of new cyber threats every day and behind these threats there is invariably an individual or a group of individuals at work. Who these people are is always of interest to us but it's rarely the primary concern which is protecting our customers. So for the most part our efforts are directed at building our defences against those threats. However, occasionally some groups demand more attention than most. It could be because they pose a particularly significant threat, such as the use of highly sophisticated malware or indeed highly destructive malware, or it could be because their attacks result in significant financial losses. So monitoring these groups requires a significant amount of manpower and brain power, and it's one of the primary jobs of uh, Semantics Attacks Investigations Team which is where this week's guest Gavin works. So before we move on to discussing who this uh, this week's attack group of the month are, perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about what the attack investigations team does. Yeah, no problem, Dick. I appreciated the uh, call out there for the intellectual prowess of the team. That was nice. <laughs> also, you missed out on the opportunity to say that myself and Bridget are in fact not related. That should be <laughs> I a we standard, did that last time standard right. disclaimer every time. Okay. Yes, there's no nepotism in, a, yeah, in, in this yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so AIT, Attack Investigations Team, uh, we were set up around uh, maybe eight or nine years ago now at this stage. And the reason we were set up was because we realized really that customers want to know more. They want to know more about attacks. They want to know how attackers are getting in, what they're doing when they're on their network, what the attackers are looking for, and generally what people call intelligence, you know, intelligence about these, uh, these groups and so on. And so that's what AIT was set up to try and answer for uh, customers. And I suppose some of the stuff we really kind of initially started from working on Stuxnet. So Eric Chen, who's my boss on the team, of course, was very heavily involved with uh, investigating Stuxnet and a few guys on our team did that work as well. And then over the years, we've worked on most of the major uh, investigations that kind of semantic would have documented things like the... Uh, the Regan malware, uh, which is a, a, an alleged Five Eyes tool, and um, a number of the other kind of major investigations over the years. Uh, and so, yeah, this, that, that tends to be what we work on. We look for any serious and um, targeted attacks against our customers. Okay. And they usually start with one attack, don't they, against one victim, often one tool, but uh, you tend to kind of spider out from there and discover more about the group as time goes on. Yeah. So I guess that's the advantage of, of Semantic and, and the telemetry that we have access to in that typically if somebody is attacked and some tool is deployed, the odds are pretty good we're going to have some information on that tool and then when we find information about that tool or we reverse engineer it and discover how it works and we start looking through our telemetry to see you know what customers have we ever seen that file on and in those customers what other tools were seen and it basically allows us to fairly quickly now build up a, um, a pretty good picture of how attackers operate what tools they use and also go back in time and go back to our telemetry and say okay these guys were attacking uh, let's say, embassies in the uh, Eastern European countries over years. So, you know, that might give you an indication as to the nature of the attacker behind um, those, those those victims and so on. So, yeah, with the telemetry, we really can start from a single 
file hash, a file name, a command and control uh, server, something like that, and expand out to find all the related activity uh, to identify how a group works and, and who they may be. Mm. And you do an awful lot of work on, kind of, I suppose, state-sponsored espionage groups is the best description for them. But you've also done stuff on, on cybercrime groups because there's, uh, you know, some of the more sophisticated ones, there's an awful lot of similarities in terms of like the tactics and the tools they use. Yeah, exactly. When you're, when you're doing investigations against uh, or into these type of attacks, really, I suppose, the primary difference between the espionage and the more e-crime stuff is simply volume. Uh, typically, the e-crime uh, attackers will be infecting thousands of victims, perhaps, whereas the the APT or the espionage guys are obviously much more focused. There are specific victims they're going after to get their information. But the actual process for investigating them, yeah, absolutely, is very similar. And um, I think I talked about one on, on an older podcast where we'd done like investigations into ransomware affecting Germany and so on and we've gone through the, the, the investigation with the police and in Germany and uh, managed to, to help them to a point where they were able to, to go for arrests and things like that so we do that every now and then and that's that's good like you know that's, that's nice to be able to see where you're able to assist law enforcement and actually have a, a concrete impact on this type of uh, activity. Okay, okay. Let's move on to um, our attack group of the month. And for the first uh, episode in this series, we've selected Shamoon because it's a little over seven years since Shamoon first appeared when it staged a fairly spectacular and highly destructive series of attacks against the energy sector in Saudi Arabia. Now, I think you were around for the first Shamoon attacks, Gavin. What struck you about them then? Because because they were a little bit out of the ordinary, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose the first thing that struck me was I was on holidays at the time. <laughs> and so uh, I arrived back into the office and it was it was uh, quite a bit of excitement because this was something that we had not seen at all before. Uh, this use of uh, effectively a wiper deployed in a very wide scale uh, so that the numbers that were reported... So there was two primary victims at the time that have kind of been publicly documented. There was Saudi Aramco and Razgaz in Qatar. And um, the numbers that are, are talked about for uh, Saudi Aramco are approximately 30,000 computers had been, had been wiped. And that scale was much bigger than anything we'd seen uh, in, in the past. Uh, and so from that alone, it was quite, quite interesting. The malware that was deployed, um, we called it uh, Distrack. Um, and kind of the more public name was Shamoon. Uh, there was actually a bit of string within the malware called uh, Shamoon. The value was Shamoon, and that's where the name came from. And uh, that malware was used to wipe, effectively part of the hard disk, wiped the, the master boot record on the hard disk, which meant a computer couldn't boot, effectively. Uh, and it also had another component where it would try and wipe the files uh, on the hard disk as well. Uh, one interesting element of it was that the, when it was wiping the files on the hard disk, it attempted to overwrite the files with a picture of the American flag. So obviously there's some sort of bit of you know political sentiment or message trying to be sent there. Um, but they actually did it wrong and they didn't successfully uh, overwrite the files with the image of a flag. It was simply like the first you know few pixels, like if you were on your modem downloading a picture 20 years ago, we would have just got the first few lines of that picture. And so that's what they managed to do and not, uh, not fully wipe it. So like I say, that was that was quite interesting. We did have some involvement with uh, with the victims. One of the guys on our team actually was flown out to assist in the uh, investigation. And so we had a very um, hands-on view, I suppose, of that attack and, and, and how it happened and so on. 
what was interesting was that very little was learned about the actual kind of, I suppose, group behind Shamoon. You know, the malware was very well understood and very well analyzed, documented by multiple uh, vendors and so on. But nobody really was able to determine definitively where the actual activity had come from and identify related activities. So most of the time when we're doing investigations, if we see an attack against one customer, pretty good chance we're going to find the same attacks against other customers. In this case, it was very isolated. It was just those two victims at that time and, and nothing else. We didn't see any more uh, activity. Uh, and so then after the, the wiping had been deployed uh, and was quite effective, uh, that was it. They just simply disappeared. And all that was left was lots of questions about who do you, who were who these people and what was the goal and so on. But that was it because they disappeared, but then they did actually reappear then. Was it four years later in 2016? They just kind of made a reappearance out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. And that was, uh, I mean, the malware that they deployed the second time around in 2016 was also almost identical to the initial uh, malware they had deployed. So I mentioned that they tried to overwrite files with the uh, image of the American flag. This time they um, used the image of the uh, the young boy who uh, drowned in the Mediterranean there. What was it? five, six years ago now at this stage. Uh, so again, kind of like more political uh, messaging trying to be sent in that. But otherwise, the attacks were um, in how they operated very similar in terms of the malware and so on. But the victims were a little bit different. It was, it was a lot of victims in Saudi Arabia, but uh, not just, um, let's say, uh, petroleum or fuel or energy related uh, targets. There was a number of other uh, entities and government-related entities within um, Saudi Arabia that have been targeted. So, uh, yeah, it was quite unusual to see them um, reappear. But what was good was that when they did reappear, because they targeted a larger range of organizations, suddenly we had much more data to actually investigate and try and figure out a little bit more about potentially who these attackers are or were and where they were operating from. And we came across some interesting things when we were looking at it that um, the, you know, so we, we, we looked at all the victims that were hit with the, the wiping malware. And then we said, right, what other tools were seen in those organizations? Have we seen any other known actors in those organizations? And we could see that in, let's say, for example, 10 organizations that were hit. Out of those 10 organizations, we had seen a known attacker group in maybe three organizations, a different attacker group in another four organizations, and then maybe we didn't see any others in the, in the remaining three or so. So our speculation was at the time that perhaps there may be multiple actors who are operating somewhat independently, who gained access to these networks and then passed access to the guys who were responsible for deploying the Shamoon malware um, because otherwise there's no indication as to how Shamoon got in. They seem to use usernames and passwords, which they'd gotten from somewhere. So presumably somebody had already stolen that information for them and uh, and then used those usernames and passwords to get access to the, to the victims. So that gave us a little bit more of an idea as to how this might be operating or, or potentially um, how these guys were getting in, essentially. And it is quite unusual to see, I suppose, this kind of disruption and this wiping I mean, that's not typically the kind of motives of targeted attackers that we see most of the time, sure it isn't. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, for if you're thinking about espionage, really espionage online is an extension of espionage in the real world. They're, they're, they're looking for information. 
to help their uh, source country, you know, politically in, in some way. Uh, whereas this is a much more aggressive, I don't know if you quite, quite, quite call it uh, warfare, but it is certainly much more aggressive than just pure espionage and information gathering. Uh, and I think really the only other equivalent we have seen is um, attacks against South Korea. Uh, so uh, South Korea has been consistently attacked since 2009, generally up to 2013, 2014, where wiping malware had been deployed, uh, not in as aggress- aggressive a manner as, as we saw against um, Saudi Aramco and Razgaz back in 2012. But we have seen uh, malware deployed against uh, entities in South Korea used to wipe machines and so on. And the guess from people is that that is potentially North Korea operating those attacks against uh, South Korea. But apart from that, yes, it is. It's extremely rare to see these aggressive uh, wiping attacks um, because I think, you know, by the nature of doing something like that, you are you are inviting um, retribution, essentially. And what's it like for the victims of these attacks? Um, you, know, <clears throat> you mentioned the sheer amount of computers that were affected in some organizations. Um, <clears throat> how hard is it to recover from an attack like that? Uh, so I, I think it varies. It varies between how well prepared, for example, an organization might be or how well designed their network might be. So for uh, Saudi Aramco, I believe they had the resources to be able to go and buy 50,000 hard drives and have them shipped to their site within days. Right. And so I guess the the weight that that organization could bring to actually solving their problem was substantial. Yeah. Um, and I think they went off and they hired immediately a purpose-built team to go and rebuild their network for them. So essentially, they were able to throw money at their system, at their problem, and get it fixed quickly. Um, but whereas not every company would probably have that sort of firepower to, to deal with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there there are uh, more recent incidents of companies who have been hit by ransomware, and they, uh, I know, for example, one company has spent four weeks trying to uh, fix the, the the problems, and people are still unable to, to work in that particular uh, organization. So I think it can it can vary greatly. Another example, good example is uh, Maersk, who uh, published and talked publicly about when they were hit by the uh, NotPetya uh, malware. That was a, a very um, destructive attack against their network. And I think they really had to go to some extraordinary lengths to actually uh, recover their network. And I think they were quite lucky in some instances, but also did put quite a bit of effort into, into rebuilding it. And I think they were back on their feet relatively quickly i think two or three weeks maybe from a, a, a quite a serious uh, attack against their uh, network but again they're quite a large company with presumably a lot of resources as well which of course wouldn't be yeah exactly no no options. i think it would be uh, unusual for a company to be able to respond as quickly although on the other side on the other hand if it's a small company maybe they can move quickly as well in terms of, uh, you know, if it's a small number of machines, they can replace those quickly, perhaps. That is true. And 2016 wasn't the last time we saw Shamoon. They were active again in 2018, I believe, weren't they? Yes, the exactly. They, they came back for a, a third uh, attack, and that was the most uh, recent one we've seen. Uh, that was more similar again to the uh, second uh, set of attacks in that they went for a range of different types of victims. 
And, uh, and in this case, they also deployed uh, an additional tool, uh, which we called uh, file arrays, which essentially is, as the name would imply, something that just uh, arrays files. Um, so, you know, it, one would wonder, uh, they do seem to appear roughly around the same time each year, uh, you know, so it's in the order of near the end of the year, uh, November, uh, September, October type of thing. So, you know, we didn't see them this year, perhaps they're you know, maybe a bit delayed, maybe on a bit of a holiday, perhaps they'll <laughs> return next year. Um, but they do seem to be operating quite consistently in, in how they're performing the attacks. Absolutely. And in terms of the motivation, what do you, I mean, you obviously can't see into the minds of the attackers, but like, what do you think are they trying to do? Are they trying to cause the maximum amount of disruption in these targeted organizations? Or are they kind of trying to send a political message or what? Yeah, so I, I, it's quite interesting. I was looking a bit more at the original attacks against uh, Saudi Arabia in 2012. And, um, you know, a, a lot of the speculation is that these, these attackers are operating from uh, Iran. Mm. Uh, and some of the groups that we know were, had compromised the victims prior to Shamoon being delivered, we are quite confident are attacker groups that are operating from uh, Iran. So... If you make the assumption that, that Iran is behind um, these attacks, uh, there was a case back in 2012 prior to the Shamoon attacks against Saudi Arabia where there were cyber attacks against Iranian um, oil industry. So it is possible that Iran are performing these attacks as uh, essentially uh, revenge for the original attacks. Um, and it may have kind of spiraled uh, from there uh, as they saw that perhaps it was quite effective in disrupting uh, at least Saudi Aramco for a number of weeks. I mean, there were stories of the fuel tankers sitting in massive queues along roads trying to get into refineries to, uh, to um, either retrieve oil or to deliver oil, but it couldn't be done because systems were down. So obviously, like it had a really substantial real world uh, impact. And I would guess that's going to damage the, uh, you know, the economy. It's going to damage the reputation of that particular uh, uh, company and the country to some degree. So I guess the issue is there's so many. It's such a complex region with so many political elements to it that you really don't know, at least from my point of view. You know, we, we, we do the investigations into the malware and so on. And our political knowledge is not the best. But uh Certainly, I think that, you know, there's obviously some goals that they are uh, trying to go after, put pressure perhaps on uh, elements of Saudi Arabia or other countries within the region. Um, but it is, it's quite interesting to, to, to know that countries are willing uh, to use those type of attacks to further their, their goals. I know, it certainly adds a kind of new element to that discourse. And I know what you're saying. I mean, I think every Shamoon attack, people have been kind of pouring through the newspapers to see what's been going on yes, in the region exactly, at the time. Yeah, and yeah, does it yeah. coincide with it? But it's, it's really hard to figure out whether it's just a coincidence or whether it has something to do with the attacks. Because, like, you know, let's face it, like, it, there often is heightened political tensions in the region, yes, you know, exactly. on, like, nearly monthly basis. So it's hard to figure out what's going on there. Um <clears throat> Now, I guess, um, you know, what can um, organizations do to guard themselves against these types of attacks? Obviously, I mean, like some organizations may think, well, I don't have anything to do with energy or the Middle East or anything like that. But if you are exposed to that sector, it is something 
as a you know a seesaw or whatever you have to probably consider and what steps should people take to try and minimize the risk of, of these attacks yeah yeah so I think an interesting one is, is looking at um, Saudi Aramco because there's been quite a bit of documentation about um, about the attack against them and one of the interesting things that, that stood out at least to me was that the people who were called in to try and fix up the network basically said that the Saudi Aramco network was completely flat essentially it was a it was a very interconnected network where you could basically connect to any other computer on the network from your computer. There were, there was very little kind of in the way of restrictions or isolating networks or things like that. And so that made it very easy for the malware to just spread across every single machine. So I think a, a, a good way to try and block that type of activity is to segregate your network, certainly to, to some degree. Obviously, you need to identify what is the most valuable data you have in your network, what is the information that you just simply have to protect that should really be clearly isolated in a trusted network with limited access. So I guess zero trust is the kind of term that's really used nowadays where simply because a person is on your network does not mean that they should have access to all of the resources on the network. A person should only be able to access the resources that they need to do to perform their their business function. And I think that that approach is, is really a quite a good way of restricting the access that this type of malware would have. Um, obviously, the, the, the simple um, steps, which kind of are always advised, you need to apply your patches. You know, it's something that's been talked about for like 20 years. But the fact of the matter is that very, very few attackers are using zero days or anything like that. They're using old exploits. Or in fact, exploits have also disappeared to some degree uh, in the last few years. It's very much becoming... Uh, macros embedded in documents and PowerShell and things like that. So being aware of those kind of more recent types of uh, trends, I suppose, within the industry is, is something that will also help in that, you know, there's quite a lot of instrumentation now for actually monitoring what happens on your computer when a Word document is loaded and what happens in scripts are run. And I think companies have a great deal more control over fine-grained control over how these applications can run on computers nowadays and they just simply need to exercise some of that that control um i think that's yeah kind of probably the primary way to try and defend yourself i guess and it's probably a call for kind of i suppose hardening up or increasing authentication around credentials because you mentioned there there was a uh, evidence of some kind of precursor attacks for some sort of reconnaissance activity took place and they stole credentials uh, which allowed the attackers then to move across the network once the the, the shamoon element of the, the attack came into place yeah exactly i think uh, and it kind of goes back a little bit to the to the zero trust thing i don't want to be too buzzwordy but um basically if you're using multi-factor authentication within your network for access to services that yeah exactly it renders this a type of attack uh, almost, I won't go 100%, but almost undoable. Mm. Uh, it's very hard to program uh, anything, be it malware or legitimate software, to spread across a network without access to the multi-factor uh, credentials. And, and trying to um, bypass that in some way is difficult. You know, it, It's doable, but it requires substantial effort uh, on the behalf of an attacker. Yeah, especially if you want to kind of 
steal multiple credentials and hit multiple exactly or if you want to do it in an automated way and spread without drawing attention you know if people are all suddenly getting you know um login request attempts on their phone and everybody's having to tap it at once that's obviously going to be suspicious and things like that so um yeah absolutely i think i think multi-factor within an internal network not trusting computers that are on your network and that is is the best way to try and avoid this type of attack okay and finally we we saw shimun in 2012 2018 2016 and 2018 um is that the end of them, or do you think we may see them again? I I think it's highly likely uh, right. we'll see them back again. And I mean, there have been a few occasions over the last uh, year or so where I think we've seen maybe two different wiping malwares, where the the malware has essentially been submitted to the likes of Virus Total uh, and analysed by people, but has not actually been seen in the wild and used. So it may be a case that there are uh, actors who are testing out uh, development of these type of tools and are ready to deploy it at some point in the future. It may be just the same Shamoon guys and they're looking for a slightly different tool to use because, they, like I say, they have used essentially the same tool over the past three years. Um, but I think, I think, yeah, by virtue of the fact that we've seen it used three different times uh, now, I think the the odds are pretty good that they're going to they see value in it whatever the value may be for the uh, attackers and that it is probably something that they will uh, roll out again okay well thank you gavin that's about all we have time for this week if you've been enjoying our podcast don't forget to subscribe to avoid missing out on all of the action in future you can also follow us on Twitter at Threat Intel or Medium at medium.com forward slash threat hyphen intel. If you'd like to read our latest research, check out our blog, which can be found at www.semantic.com forward slash blogs forward slash threat hyphen intelligence. We'll be back again next week where we'll be taking an in-depth look at the world of targeted ransomware. Until then, thank you and goodbye.